What's up, y'all? This is Dr. Craig Wally, your host, here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to avoid returning to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by none other than Mr. Gerard Brown, who discusses his experiences getting sent to prison in the California Department of Corrections at Folsom Prison on a level three yard at the young age of 19 years old. Mr. Gerard Brown describes the steps he took along with the family support and additional guidance of several mentors to help turn his life around once on the outside again. Today, Gerard is a PhD student at the University of California, Merced. His journey truly exemplifies what it means to go from prison to promise. I'm going to ask you to maybe tell the listeners of the Prison of Promise podcast a little bit about you, like where you from, uh, maybe the neighborhood you grew up in, and uh, maybe how much time you did behind the wall. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, I'm Jerry Lavelle Brown II. Uh, I grew up in, uh, I'm from California, right? Uh, grew up in the Bay Area, um, San Francisco, a little bit of Oakland, uh, the Filmo District, Um I lived a little bit of everywhere, really, but uh, my heart in Filmo, right? My dad from Filmo, my uncle, my grandma, everybody from Filmo. Um, but I moved around a lot. Um, always lived in public housing or Section 8 and whatnot, so I was always around that type of influence. And, like, around my teenage years, uh, so I was pretty good at school and whatnot as a young one. I think a lot of people is, though. I don't want to discredit anybody. I think we all are, right? But, uh, you know... You go to schools that largely focus on punishing, right? So, um, and and the cultural influences I was around. So, by the time I was 14, moved with my mom in this town called Merced. Um, went to school out here for a little bit. I'm back in Merced now. I'm at UC Merced. Um, went to school out here a little bit. Ended up getting expelled. So, I moved back to my dad in Frisco. I uh, went through like the same cycle. Uh, went to Ida B. Wells, Ida B. Wells um, Continuation School. And um, I ended up dropping out. Like, it wasn't like a formal process or anything. It just got boring. Like, you know, Ida B. Wells was, um, you know, where, where all the expelled students go. And um, they just had us come in, sign a little name. And if you wanted to do work, you do work. So I, I just went to the streets with it, right? So I was in downtown Frisco hanging out with some cats and whatnot. Uh, ended up getting into a little bit of trouble. It was back when I was like 17. So I ended up moving back with my mom's. I, I moved to Oakland first with my dad, but then some weird stuff happened, right? He, he's, um, he was always in the mix of some stuff. He was a street cat, you know what I mean? Dibble and dabble with drugs and whatnot. So some weird stuff happened. I ain't going to get too much into it. But uh, he just disappeared. I was in the apartment by myself. And I just ended up moving back to my mom's. Um, went to um, Valley Continuation School out here in Merced. Um, ended up graduating. But, they, you know, at these continuation schools, they don't give you no direction or anything. They just give you a diploma and be like, you're on your way. So Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what they call it in New York, right? These alternative schools. Yeah, they have them the same in New York, but I'm not okay, sure cool. about here in North Carolina. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, long story, I was just ripping and running the streets. Um, just one uneventful day, you know, I was, you know, drinking, driving, just doing regular stuff uh, with my partners and uh, end up crashing the whip. We got hurt a bit. It wasn't too bad. It was in the summer of 2007. 
and uh, went to the hospital, got out, got a little couple staples on my head. It, it wasn't nothing too major, right? It, it ain't nothing I'm not going to say. It wasn't like, it's nothing to forget about, but, you know, I just kept on moving on with life, right? And me and, and, me and my partners. But um, district attorney picked up the case like five months later. Most weird stuff, right? And um, I, I just enrolled in college. I was 19, had my daughter. And uh, yeah, they just picked up the case. So the second, you know, they arraign you, I think I got 72 hours. I'm like, well, I mean, something happened back in July. I've been, I've been on the straight and narrow. All my partners is cool. Uh, they just, they went crazy. They was like, he a gang member. I'm not gang affiliated or anything like that, right? But if you would, you know, if you're in a group of black folks, three or more people, right? It's a gang, right? To according to these folks. Not a group, but a gang. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, the controlling charges was um, a DUI and a GBI, right? When my friends got hurt a bit. Uh, so that that's not a gang related charge, right? But they just, DA just went crazy, right? It was like his bail's at 250, right? 250,000. I'm like, I can't afford that stuff, right? So went through the process of that. Um, ransom, not bail. Right. Yeah, ransom. There we go. Yeah, I'm about to run with that term too. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's ransom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know they keep on playing with me, talking about five years, uh, talking about somebody died, nobody dead, right? Um, just just playing games. Right, this on um, public defender. She wanted no help. So after like eight months of doing that stuff and having a daughter out there in the streets and, and a son, right? So my daughter was about one. I was 19 years old. And, you know, there was like three years with halftime, right? So I was like, man, I'll just take that to the chin, right? So did 18, it came out to 18 months, ended up doing like almost two years, um, ran up some points. So I was at um, the level three yard at Folsom, right? At Folsom, and that's... Um, that's pretty heavy, level three. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they, they, they um, the file, like, even though it wasn't a game-related charge or anything like that, in the file... It just said, you know, gang affiliate and all this stuff. And I had multiple cases as a teen that got dropped down in San Francisco, right? But those were groups of people and stuff that I did in Merced with, with groups of teens and whatnot while I was a teenager that got dropped, never got picked up, right? So, but they used that to give me extra points. Cases that never got picked up, right? Always do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I had like 38 points. I think 28 points and up is a level three, 52 and up is a level four, right? So yeah, straight to level three yard. Wow. And I'm sure you saw a lot of stuff in level three yards. Yeah, it was wild. Mm. Uh, when I went, it was 2008, right? So I don't know what they got out your way, but we have this thing called California Youth Authority, right? Mm -hmm. and so it's like a juvenile prison. And um, so when I went to prison, a lot of cats from that era, from my era that went to YA was in there. So it was a bunch of young cats. It was all like 18 to 25, right? So that old order, you know, the stories I used to hear about like the 90s and 80s, I was kind of out. Yeah. yeah yeah so while you were locked up though so you're still a young cat when you go inside um yeah, what's your 19 yeah that was, that was the same age i was when i went in um but what was going on for you in your mind were you thinking yo i gotta survive in here by any means necessary or i gotta start changing my way of thinking or what was going on for you at that i was still, still a bit street oriented i ain't gonna lie but i did want to I did want to exit plan, right? You know, like, like uh, I knew a lot of this stuff in the streets wasn't forever, right? It just didn't make any sense, right? Um, you, you know, if you're able to live past 25, 30 years old, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? You going to sell dope forever? Yeah, you know I mean, it's right. just not reality. But um, when I was in there, it was just like a culture shock, right? Because you're in the county jail and you're with your folks and stuff. And the county jail is smooth, right? I right. Mean, so, but 
you know, ain't nothing. And then you go to prison, it's like, damn, right? You come across all yeah. these older cats, people yeah. hard edge and stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, repeat offenders, people used to this stuff, right? The vultures and the hyenas, right? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, so a whole entire mind shift, like, but it was cool. I had a lot of um, older partners out that, you know, showed me the ropes and stuff. I didn't get into too much of anything. Uh, you know, a few little squabbles here and there, and it was like prison riots. You you can't avoid those. Right. I mean, it's right. racialized too. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Especially out in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's extremely racialized, right? You, you got the you know the, the Mexican folks or um, whatever Latin American ethnicity they is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the white folks, yeah. and, and then and then the brothers, right? The black folks. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that had to be a heavy. I can only imagine because you know I, I went through the very same thing at nineteen. That whole culture shock and fear and. You know, thinking about what am I going to do? How can I create an exit plan? You know, yeah. when I, I did create an exit plan, and um, clearly, um, you've been out and you're in school, um, and I'm thinking that was maybe part of your exit plan from in there or once you got out. But what what was your exit plan? How did you start coming up with your exit plan, or just start thinking differently from the young dude that went inside? Tell you the truth, my creative process was like thrown in there. Some people could really like could do that in there. I couldn't do it. I was like, man, the, as soon as I hit the streets, uh, I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm about to enroll in college first thing I get out. Right. Cause I was just doing that. And, um, but just in there, it's just like, my creativity was gone, man. I knew people in there that was artistic people rapping and stuff. All that stuff was drained for me. Right. Um, I'm pretty well, sure. Man, folks well, like that. Yeah. So, you know, I read my little books and just went through the day-to-day routine, right. You know, wake up in the morning, hit the yard, talk shit, you know, play a couple, you know, play some card games and stuff mm-hmm. and do it all over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, until my release date. But, um, I knew like, I didn't want to repeat the cycle of like, like my childhood with my father and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even my mom, my mom was a good person. Right. But I like to, uh, I call myself like a, they call like a, what's that term? free roam free roam chicken that they have now like the cage free eggs yeah. so that was like me as a kid like you know they just let me have free ground i never got grounded or anything like that i just got to explore the world on my own like you know yeah. what i mean yeah so that's yeah yeah i want a structure for my kids right so right right so i knew like when i touched down i had to get back to my daughter and my son right and navigate that life and show a, a positive image right you know mm. what i mean like whether i was a working man um, college educated you know what I mean? And nothing that would replicate going into the streets because my pops was in the streets and I thought that was smooth, right? Right. It's like so many of us young black men coming up. Yeah, yeah. Dig it, man. So what what um what what kind of supports did you have when you came out of the penitentiary? Because we know supports are so important. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately for me, I have my mom's and uh, my grandpa on um, the Jewish side of my family uh that was real supportful. So um, I know a long time ago, like when I really started, you know, dibbling, dabbling in the streets when I was 15 and whatnot, my grandpa always, he's always say he's a pretty successful dude. Um, it's like, man, I never buy you a house. I never buy you a car. But if you want to go to college, I got you all the way, whatever oh, the expenses. Cool. Right. So when I got out at 21, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to take you up on that offer. Right. You know what I mean? So I was staying at my mom's house. Uh, I mean, the hardest part was parole. And yeah. And I still need to have some money, right? And you know, right. they ain't giving no jobs to people like us, right? Right. I filled out the application, and it's just no callbacks. I've You're never had a job. In the garbage can. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a job, bro. I, until I got into like, you know, my last year of undergrad and into uh, my graduate program. Yeah. 
And they all yeah. background check us here. You know what I mean? So right, right, right. They just they hire you on the campus a lot of times. Yeah. Or you get an internship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened for me because um I was struggling with employment as well. But once I got into college, my undergrad, I got an internship. Doors start opening for me, and they were like, "Oh yeah, come on in." And um, it's been pretty much open ever since then. It's been like I told you, like twenty plus years. But it was that college experience. So mm-hmm. how well? One thing I want to say is that and it's beautiful. You took your grandfather up and he was able to support you in that college run, mm-hmm. you know? So that's a real big thing. How do you think college has changed your life from the person that you were to the person that you are? Man, a lot. I mean, I don't have a lot of my old friends. Everybody parted ways, mm-hmm. you know? It is what it is. And it's probably for the best, right? Mm-hmm. Probably for their situation and my situation, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, just the education, man. Uh, and I, I hearken back to like, you know, my family before the 80s on both sides of my family, the, you know, the white Jewish side and the black side, right? But, you know, on the black side of my family, you know, I have stories of like, you know, those folks I was born in the 40s and 60s, they was all college educated, right? Yeah, I mean, from the South and whatnot, then the 80s hit, right? And yeah, like my pops and stuff like that, right? It was like a downfall. But, uh, you know, that that, that college, it really just, um, it opened my mind to like a whole new world, whether it was the history classes, like I really like utilize every course I had. I'm a, I'm a sociologist, right? But I utilize every course I had from history to weird ass art class, right? You know, um, even geology, like I could talk to my kids about igneous rocks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like weird stuff, right? I mean, it's not weird, it's real, but absolutely you know, tectonic plates and stuff like that, biological processes, right? You know what I mean? So it, it really just, um, it, What's the term? Gave me more eclectic thought, more eclectic yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah. And you can see greater possibilities for yourself and your family as you yeah. move forward. You're not stuck in this pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. You no, know? yeah. So, I mean, your story sounds very similar to mine. And that's what college did for me as well. Just kind of helped me see the world broader and understand myself broader, which helped me to create yeah. the structure I needed for myself as well as for my family. Because like you, I didn't want my kids to do anything like I did or live any type of similar life you know yeah yeah and so that's what we're doing over here you know we have a beautiful life and both me and my wife are college educated um college ain't for everybody um and just because you go to college don't mean you're gonna be successful but i know it helped change how i look at the world and how i live and i'm very grateful it sounds like you are too yeah i'll say to that point the third because i went to sociology and psych right i'm more i'm phd in sociology right now um and the way they analyze the world, like I just took it as game, right? You know, like how we say we exchange game, right? And a lot of these sociology studies, I mean, you got the hardcore stuff, right? That, you know, looks at neoliberal processes and, and in transnational movements and whatnot. But what working class folks do, what middle class folks do, and what elite folks do, and, and, and how these structures are tied to us and whatnot. And that's what I just mirrored. I started reading like some of the some of the literature, like you know, the cultural capital that elite folks have. Now, mind you, I don't have all the money to do that, but right. I still try to navigate that. Like, oh, bro, internships, like you, you just don't get the grades and, and, and graduate college. Like, there's other mechanisms right. to make the college degree um, attainable and relationships. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that um that that really opened my eyes to like how to navigate this and what to pass down to my kids. That's dope. And how long have you been out? Um, it's been forever and a day. Um, <laughs> That's sweet. So I, I did a lot of violations with this crazy parole officer, man. Uh-huh. So I say 2013, 
That's when I met my wife. Yeah, so 2013, that was the last one. And a good wife helps make a, a, a difference too, I think, in our lives, especially for, for everybody, but especially for those of us who are coming out of the penitentiary. You know, I think a good wife helps provide more structure, more stability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was well, she was in she was in college already and she just believed in me. No, I, mean, I had a GPS monitor on me, you know what I mean? Like I was <laughs> trying to lie and say it was a calorie counter. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. She knew you was yeah. shit at that moment, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. But she believed in me. We we made this move together and whatnot. And um she has her master's in social work, so she yeah. um she's a social worker. Okay, so y'all kind of think on the same level when it comes to yeah. analyzing the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's dope, man. Congratulations. And how long have you been married? My daughter's three. It's three years. Nice. Congratulations, man. We've been together since 2013, so it's at nine years. So Yeah, that's dope, man. Yeah, yeah. I wish you a long, long time together. And so one of the things you talked about, too, man, you know, you just kind of alluded to it. You had this crazy parole officer. What was like... What were like the biggest challenges um, maybe getting out? Well, you said parole was one of the biggest challenges. So what was one of the biggest challenges on parole and how did you ultimately successfully navigate that? Oh, she was a gangster, man. Hey, more gangster than anybody I see in the streets, man. You know, I, I mm. walk into the parole out. She had like, I don't know, I'm not gonna fully like judge her and make all these characteristics, but she had a power issue. So like I come in, you know, you do the monthly meetings and, you know, there'd be other, you know, she has a caseload. So I'd see the people like, she'll go on a rampage one day. It's just like, you're going, you're, you're locked up. You didn't find a job. You're locked up. You you did what? Locked up. Like, yeah, man, I'm next in this office. The hell she going to say to me, right? Um, I used to drive around the streets. I like every Thursday, I think parole, like they do some stuff where they were cops. Like, I think that's out of their job, but. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I see her running the streets, like full, like. I think she ran like a four three, like Adrian Peterson. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, just running like man, here she go again, right? So she was always looking for something. I remember she violated me for um, getting some cigarettes in a gang related area. Like what area isn't considered gang related? I don't get it, man. Um, uh, just all types of weird stuff. Like so that that was the biggest thing for me. But I think she um, she didn't help me at all. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's many pro officers out there. Maybe they're changing their ways now. I haven't been around in a minute, but right, yeah, just um, you know, it was it was right after the Great Recession too, right? So, oh, get a job or or go to college, and then if you go to college, like ah, you're you're BSing, right? You're not really going to college, so it's they just hunting you down. And yeah, they don't really. I don't think they. A lot of them are really educated. I know, like in New York, where I come from, um. I don't know when I was on parole if this stood true, but once I started working with men and women who were on parole, a lot of the, the parole officers had to have, I think, at least like two years of social sciences um, training in a, a in a college or institution of higher learning, you know. And then you know, a lot of these uh, conditions they put on us, like get a job, go to school, they don't realize like a lot of folks ain't never had a job. A lot of folks are coming from backgrounds that never prepared them for a job. A lot of folks have mental illness, you know, a whole lot of stuff working against them, not to mention the discrimination that the community has against people who have felonies. And so it's not that easy. And, you know, what really blows me away is they send you back to prison. Like, that's going to make you get a job or make you go to school yeah. or make you do better. You know, when there's all these challenges mounted up against most people. So guys like you, guys like me, we're fortunate. You know, yeah. we're, we're like the minority out of people that get out of prison and go to prison. For real, for real. You know, so really, um, 
I'm grateful for my situation as I'm sure you are too, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so what, if, if some young person was listening to this or some rusty OG or whoever was listening to you and I talk right now about getting out of prison, uh, making your life more prosperous and successful, what would be um, some jewels that you would drop on them? Ooh, that's a hard one because just the way the system is set up, you know, um, I can't say like, like in my personal situation, like they, you know, I come across a lot of people who say they're reformed and stuff like that. I'm a good person now. Right. But uh, I just never got caught again. Right. And then my life situation got better. And then I didn't have to do anything I used to have to do in the past. Right. So I was very lucky. Right. Um, but I think from what I see, I see a lot of people doing it now, like, like organizing, man, like, you know, like, we're supposed to have more rights and, and in different states, like in California, we're a little more relaxed, right? Um, you know, if you, if you, on, if you're on parole, you got a felony, you can still vote. Um, you know, they're cracking down on like the, the amount of time um, for violation. So it's, it's kind of relaxed here, but um, I'd say really advocate for your rights as a, you know, formerly incarcerated person. And um, you know, it's just a lot because like, if you, if you come from a certain neighborhood, like most of us do, and we have to go back to that neighborhood. I mean, just like I just, I was walking down the street by a pack of cigarettes and that's a violation. I wasn't even hanging out with nobody. Right. You know what I mean? So, Crazy. yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a real hard one. I want to have an answer for it though. Well, if you don't have one, that's all right too, man. You know, yeah. but I, I, I think, I think the big thing is don't give up. Um, you know, a lot of people have different circumstances where they're indebted to a certain group of people, maybe, right? You know, I'm not going to yeah. say too much because I don't know who may be listening. And mm -hmm. I don't want certain folks to get like, you know, the codes and understandings our lingo, right? right. But, uh, right. you know what I mean? But like, you got to push your way out. Uh, you got you to gotta stand tall on your toes and like, I'm done. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm doing this. And either you're going to respect it or check it. You know what I mean? And you're right. going to check it. You know what I mean? So this is what I'm doing. Matter of fact, you should come with me. You know right I mean? on. bring somebody yeah. with you yeah, yeah. And, I, and it sounds like also in doing that it's important to have a plan you know this is what i'm going to do and i have a plan to do it or maybe i'm developing the plan as i go no that's a major thing no that's a key point you gotta have a step-by-step -step plan you can't do stuff impromptu trust me i've done it and mm. it don't work yeah you know i mean like <laughs> it doesn't have to be the most concrete plan and stuff ain't always gonna go your way right you have a set plan like like when i when i took this college pursuit right and this could go to any walk of life that, that that's positive and meaningful right you know i i had a set plan my wife helped me out with certain people i had to talk to the transfer counselor to get to the csus and the ucs um the mentors i had to talk to the step-by-step -step processes mm -hmm. you know what i mean and, and having positive people that really want to help you. So, you know, one of the first people with me was uh, Joel Murphy, professor of psychology at Merced Junior College. Um, he just said he saw something in me. He was like, you deserve to be at a four-year college and, you know, oh. pushed me to do that. Oh. Um, Vincent Laos, Dr. Vincent Laos at CSU Stan, real cool dude up out the Bay Area, right? Mm -hmm. Grew up in that life too, but he a professor now. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was like, hey, you, well, we need you, you know, as a sociologist, right? And I was like, I don't know how to get to grad school. It's like, well, I'm about to show you the way. You can't can you you. work if I show you. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's so, the thing. When you put yourself in the right realm, people going to come and help you. They're going to come and support you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you had more support than just like moms and grandpa. 
You know, once you got in, immersed, it was like people saw your effort, they saw your your saw your grind, and they was like, "Look, we're gonna help this brother because we see ourselves in him." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, positive mentors I found in um in, in college, you know, professors. I mean, it, it was similar to the streets. It just wasn't no negativity. Like in the streets, I you know whoever was doing it, like, hey, what's the game? How you do this, right? Yeah. So the same thing in this world, right? I'm trying to figure out this world, right? Yeah. And I think a big thing is 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 language and. And just knowing, like, mm. the better places you get to, it's no longer violent, right? This is one of the things yeah. I had to deal with, right? Like, it, I have a disagreement. And these people are middle-class folks, right? Probably grew up square as hell. Yeah. First thing on my mind, like, bro, I'd knock you out, right? You know what uh -huh. I mean? Like, yeah. I'll slide you right now, right? That's, That's where we come out. from. Yeah, yeah. And these people don't operate like that, right? Yeah. You know, but they, they do disagree. But yeah. There's a different way to disagree, right? So. Absolutely. Learning the language of folks is still remaining real to yourself. I still remain real. You know what I mean? So yeah, you have to. Yeah. But you know, I remember hearing um an entertainer once on television talking about the importance of being multi-dialectical. Yeah, yeah. Learning different languages, learning different lexicon, learning how to flex in between social and ethnic and racial groups, you know, because everybody don't flex the same. Mm -hmm. And then realizing certain groups, you just need to stay the hell away from because they ain't going to do nothing but maybe bring you down. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. I agree with that. I mean, my mom to this day, she trip out. She'd be like, I don't know how, you know, you, you could sit there and be in like the most, you know, ghettoist environment, hanging out, chilling with the best of them. And then you'd be around these politicians and stuff like that. You know, you know, billionaires like Tom Steyer and stuff like that. Just have it. But yeah, be a multi-dialectical, right? Yeah. Have yeah, something to bring to the table. Absolutely, on all levels. And I think that way uh, people will respect you more and you'll get, um, I guess, more utility out of your existence, you know, because mm -hmm. a big part of what we do is we're here to help other people as well, you know. And so yeah. we can't just help one group of people, you know. Sometimes we got to get with another group of people to take from them to bring it back to the next group of people that we might be working with or sitting around. Yeah, yeah, correct. So it sounds like you've had an amazing journey, brother. Um, and one last thing I want to ask you, man, and that is, what is your future plan for yourself? What do you see yourself in the next five years, maybe? So, yeah, I'm in a five-year program, too. So that's, that's a good question. So really completing my doctorate, right, having this PhD in sociology. I don't want to um, end up at like the R1s, kind of want to just, um, I want to be at like the state university system so I can still teach more. And yeah. do research because I, I want to come across somebody like me. Yeah. But on outside of like getting my money and 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 my career, I really just want to um, I want to go back to like these continuation schools. I was starting it for a second because, but it just like the first couple of years, as you probably know, is like extremely busy. Right? I got all these classes, hella papers to write. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, going back and and mentoring and actually going beyond mentoring of trying to make like some policy change, right? Um, I, I'm pretty critical of like, like this mentoring stuff without the changes in the neighborhood, right. Which comes from organizing and, and getting the, your, your local officials to change the conditions of your environment, because we could, I, I think there's some program in Chicago. I saw, I was like, this is BS, right. I think it's Obama's too, right. Mm -hmm. My brother's keeper, right. Dope stuff, right. Like older folks like that, that live that life, talking to the young folks, but the conditions are still the same, right. right? Are still the same. You know, like it's a liquor store on every corner, like not much is going to change. You're just going to affect like one or two people. Right. You know I mean, right. Out of the thousands, change, right? So, change the environment, change the condition. Yeah. yeah. Before they gentrify it and change it themselves. Right. You know I mean? Like the, the, the film. -o. 
Yeah, like did the film you know what I mean? Yeah, Places absolutely. around New York, everywhere, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So if you had a phrase or something to encapsulate, um, say this, this discussion or your life, what would that phrase be? Hmm. Think like an album title or a book title that encapsulates your life. Go hard or go home. Mm, go hard or yeah. go home. Go hard or yeah. go home. I, I, would, I mean, a, a great philosopher, E. Fody, said go hard or go homeless, but I don't, I don't want to say that because that's a, you know, um, that's a situation that some people can't can't prevent, right? You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, go hard or go home. Like, you know what I mean? Give great it all 110. Great philosopher, E. Fody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> E. Fody. Yeah, man. Hey, man, have you ever listened to uh, Eric Michael Dyson? Oh yeah, I was just I just finished one of his books. Yeah, that brother's dope too. You know, just you mentioned that uh E40 made me think of him. I've listened to um I've been in the room when he's uh spoken a couple times. You know, he's like a a, a minister and you know, you know, he's a politician and all these other things that are uh, uh, um intellectual, but he's always lacing his his dialogue with hip hop rhymes and, and yeah, yeah. you know phraseologies and so just you going there with uh E40, a lot of people gonna be like, uh, E who? E what? You know? And I do <laughs> yeah, the same yeah. thing. Like, you know, I'm teaching the course in the women's prison here. Even when I taught on campus, I always I just bring in song lyrics from reggae to hip hop, you know, to R and B, because I think those things are so essential and they help shape who we are. Yeah, yeah, the music, that's a very important aspect. Absolutely. And, yo, I just want to say thank you for your time. If you or someone you know would like to share their story on this show or would like to leave a comment or suggestion, drop me a line using lowercase letters at D R C R A I G W A L E E D D as in dog at gmail.com. That's Dr. Craig Walid at gmail.com. Thank you.